Hi, I'm David Green. Happy New Year. And as we look forward to 2022, welcome to a special episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast to kick us off for the year. 2021 exposed a growing chasm between employers who yearn for a return to significant present-based working and employees who don't. This only magnifies the importance of the field of human resources. The pandemic has not only accelerated the future of work, it has accelerated the role of HR too. HR's journey from an inward-looking function focused on compliance, process, standardization, and intuition to an outward-looking function focused instead on skills, products, personalization, and data has gathered pace in the last two years and is set to quicken further in 2022. There has arguably never been a more exciting time to work in HR. Those of you who follow me on LinkedIn are probably aware that I've been publishing an annual set of predictions since 2014. Last year, we turned this into a podcast episode, which rather surprisingly for me, proved to be quite popular. So we thought we'd do it again to kick off 2022. So in a bit of a role reversal, my colleague Ian Bailey, who is the show's producer, as well as the Chief Operating Officer at Insight 222, gets to ask the questions and grill me on my 2022 predictions. As you're here, I do manage to turn the tables on Ian at several points in the conversation to get his take on a couple of the trends that are destined to set the agenda in the forthcoming year. In our conversation, Ian and I discuss how HR is orchestrating the shift to hybrid. We look at how leading companies productize people analytics solutions for employees managers and executives. We look at why the shift towards a skills-based organization is transforming the role of HR. And we look at what HR leaders and professionals should do to prepare for the future. Well, welcome to your own show, David. Um, it's always fun to make you uh, answer questions rather than ask them. So uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Um, it's always better asking the questions and answering them. So I look forward to this with some trepidation. Excellent. Well, it's always an absolute joy to dig into your predictions. Once again, you've gazed into your crystal ball and come up with some predictions for the year ahead which we're going to spend some time exploring today. But for anyone that hasn't already read your article, many have uh, on LinkedIn, please do go and check out David's predictions for 2022. They're excellent and there's a great lively debate on there. You're free to add comments and add your own predictions as well, which is something we'll, we'll get into towards the, the end of this episode, actually. So first question for you, David, given that you do this every year, uh, very bold of you to do so, very brave, uh, how well did your predictions from last year do? Well, you know, I thought you might ask that. So uh, I did go back and mark last year's exam paper. Um, and <laughs> the first thing to say, and let's get the excuses in now, is uh, trying to predict the future is a mugs game. So that, that's a quote from Douglas Adams, who's the author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a, a fantastic book, it must be said, where I'm probably showing my age by, by mentioning it. Um, but we all like to make your prediction. Uh, and for me, I find it's a really good way to, to, to reflect on the year that's gone, learn. Um, and and plan for the year ahead. Um, but to be fair, and in my defence, actually many of last year's pre predictions were reasonably accurate. Now maybe they were a bit safe, which could be the could be something that was uh, could be levied at me. But you know, take take these three. So 
one, there's definitely been an increased focus on, on employee well-being, you know, certainly in the majority of firms we work with at Insight 222. Uh, and we've seen that consistently from the podcast guests we had throughout 2021. The one that really sticks out, I think, is the the, the podcast episode with Ariana Huffington and Donna Morris, where Donna was talking about, you know, the efforts they're making around well-being at Walmart. Um, second, as I know we'll cover a bit later in our discussion, you'd expect me to say this, People analytics has grown as a function um, and the emphasis really does seem to have shifted from a, a, from a focus on influencing HR activities to one that's primarily focused on, on the impact and business outcomes. And I think the third area, and I know we're going to dig into this one as well, is the continued shift uh, towards skills uh, as a focal point. Um, you know, the shift towards a skills-based organisation is, is transforming the role and impact of HR. Um, so definitely seeing that happening um, even more um, in 2021, thinking even more in 2022. And if I could pick one of last year's predictions that hasn't really come to pass fully yet, I think I said, uh, I better quote the words, HR becomes more digital, more agile and more data literate. It's happening, um, but maybe not quite as quickly as, as I predicted or as I hoped. Um, and for example, in the annual uh, People Analytics Trends uh, research, we do at Insight 222, you know, Although nine, you know, that's over across 100 global organizations, you know, although the CHRO in 90% of those organizations has, has pretty much mandated that people analytics is a core component of HR strategy, those same organizations reported that only 42% currently have a data-driven culture in HR. So plenty of work to do. So in summary, and I might give myself a generous B or a B minus for last year's prediction. Well, I think you're being very modest. I think, uh, I think that's really interesting. And I think we were just talking about it a little bit before starting the recording, which is, I think a lot of these, it's very hard to make these predictions because actually things do change quite slowly. And I think we'll we'll dig into that a little bit. As you say, some of these trends emerging, but a long way to go for, for some of them still. So, well, let's get into kind of what you what you were looking at for, for 2022. Uh, the first one that you went for, I, I do feel is a fairly safe uh, prediction, a little bit of examining the year as well as looking forward, which is around hybrid working and the impact of, that the pandemic has had on all of us, our ability to actually go into uh, an office and, and see others. But as you think about how this evolves, obviously, I don't expect you to predict how the pandemic is going to play out because that does seem to be one that, that we can't all judge particularly well. But if we do get to this point where we have more choice around where we work, whether we go back to the office or not, what are your thoughts on how hybrid working will evolve in 2022 and, and beyond? You're right. It's it's quite a safe prediction, perhaps, but it's also probably one that's the biggest topic whenever we talk to, you know, our clients at Insight 222. And I did say last year would be the year that firms fully transitioned to hybrid ways of working, but that hasn't well, played out. And as you mentioned, that's largely due to the pandemic. The Delta and Omicron variants have delayed that wholesale uh, return to office and postponed hybrid working in, in many cases. It, what's clear, though, and, and this is where the prediction really comes in, is there's a growing chasm between employers who yearn for a return to significant in-person working and, and employees who don't, or you know, at least according to the many numerous surveys that we see. So when you then factor in the great resignation, and we can debate how real that is or not, but when you cut through the hype of that, it appears to be primarily about uh, the pandemic causing employees to reflect on what they want from their lives. You know, it becomes a bit more interesting, and maybe that isn't you know the long commute to work 
three or four days a week, um, you know, and, and long hours. And maybe, maybe people don't want that anymore. Um, so I think we've, we've arrived at a bit of an inflection point about where, um, when and how work gets done. Um, and employees arguably have the upper hand in, in what seems to be quite a buoyant uh, marketplace. So the prediction really is about HR orchestrating that shift to hybrid and, and brokering that deal between leaders and workers. Um, and hopefully, and we're seeing, using people data to, to inform that transition. You know, and, and that comes into something we're going to talk about later, having that effective approach to continuous employee listening can certainly help shape that path. Um, you know, and it, it really helps shape the, the, you know, the context around future ways of working, not just for leaders, so that their policies can gain support from the workforce. But, you know, my, you know, I don't know if you saw, but Microsoft, you know, talked about that, that hybrid paradox where people are tell, saying they want the flexibility of working from anywhere, but they also crave more in-person connection. So there is a balance that as the pandemic plays out, you might see move one way on the, and the other, depending on where we are from a health perspective. But I mean, the reason I put it number one is the prize is it could be significant, you know, for for, for companies and HR functions that do it well. You know, if you get the the approach to hybrid right, you know, and that's not just the where, which we seem very fixated on at the moment, but the when and the how. Getting that approach right so it attracts rather than repels, you know, top talent. Um, that could turn, you know, for individual organisations to spoke, you know, the threat of the great resignation in actually be able to attract people into their organisation. So. Really, you know, we've, we've heard from companies like Salesforce and, and IBM and Microsoft and, and, and others on the, on the podcast, I think, that are, that are thinking like that and putting employees at the center of their approach to hybrid working. And there are other organizations um, that aren't, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, in the next 12 months. And the biggest wish, of course, is that we actually, the pandemic starts to recede. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we've also seen kind of anecdotally, I haven't actually seen a lot of data on this yet, but I think it would be interesting to see is just the the ability to attract talent now from wherever you know particularly somewhere like the US where maybe someone needed to move from east coast to west coast or, or something like that actually to now hire people wherever they are as long as they're within a, a similar-ish time zone or, or maybe in some cases even if they're not and I think that's kind of opening up opportunities for employees but also for employers to find different talent to, to fit those jobs so yeah it'd be fascinating to see how that one plays out. And I guess whilst kind of thinking about data, one of your, your favorite topics, um, again, it's it's uh, not a big surprise uh, to, to see people analytics in as one of your predictions and and for that to, to evolve further. It's definitely been a phenomenal year for the field. And we've seen a lot of progression and a lot of uh, different ways that people analytics has really been used more. Uh, and, and we've seen that field uh, evolve. When, when you look now into 2022, kind of what do you think is next for people analytics? You know, what about themes like trust and ethics that you mentioned in your predictions? How do you see all of this playing out in the coming year? Well, I'll come back to the trust and ethics bit secondly, but um, don't remind me if I forget as well. Um, and I, I thought it might be helpful for listeners actually to start, you know, with the first part of the question and maybe highlight some of the, um, the findings that we did, that we found in our people analytics trends report. Um, so that was published at the end, towards the end of last year, uh, in October. You know, and as as I mentioned earlier, it was it's informed by a survey of, of more than 100, well, it's 114 global companies. You know, it really, as you said, it really highlighted that growth in the field and and really builds on what Jonathan and I uh, wrote in Excellence in People Analytics. You know, 
the growth of people analytics, the investment in people analytics by leading organizations and the impact of people analytics are all rising exponentially. Long may that continue. Um, you know, in just 12 months, actually, from doing the, the survey in, in 2020, we saw that the ratio of people analytics professionals to overall FT in the companies we, we surveyed improved to one people analytics professionals to every 2,900 employees from one to 4,000, which is quite a significant increase. And 75% of those companies told me that those functions are going to grow even more in the next 18 months. In fact, only one of those 114 companies said that their people analytics team would shrink and they were just about to divest a third of their organization. So, you know, people analytics is growing in pretty well, certainly in the organizations that, that we surveyed, which you know, quite a representative sample. You know, also, we found that CHROs are more or less unanimous now that people analytics is important. The 90% uh, figure I mentioned earlier are saying it's a clear part of, of HR strategy. And we also found that the 89% of people analytics either report directly now to the chief people officer or a member of the HR leadership team. So that was 75% 12 months previously. So again, everything's tracking upwards um, in that respect. You know, and we know because we hear the stories, you know, in our privileged position at Insight 222, and we can certainly, we saw in a lot of the case studies that, that Jonathan and I collected in the book, 30 of them, that, you know, when it's impactful, people analytics is, is contributing hundreds, you know, millions of dollars of value to the top and bottom lines. Um, you know, and, and if you can create that data-driven culture in HR, you can really scale and enhance that value even further. So, so if that, what does that mean about 2022? So if we look at the clues as, as to what to expect, you know, maybe we should look at some of what the leading companies are doing. You know, this is a question that, that Jonathan and I were attempting to answer in the book because it's a question that we get asked a lot. Um, and it's a, it's an area that we really looked at in the in the research as well. And it's basically, perhaps not surprisingly, the leading companies invest more in people analytics, you know, bigger teams, more in technology. Um, they productize analytics at scale, which I think is key. And we're going to be talking about, you know, personalized learning, personalized talent mobility and, and, and everything else. You know, getting getting data into the hands of HR business partners, but also managers in the business so they can make more informed decisions. We're really seeing that in the leading organizations. And they've created that data-driven culture for, for HR as well. And, you know, I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about that as well. So so really lots of activity happening and and you know, those leading companies are are, are kind of pointing the pointing the way a little bit. And you know, we're fortunate we've had a number of people from those companies um, on the podcast, Patrick from ABN AMRO, Ernest Ding from Salesforce, um, just, to, just to mention two we've had recently, Jeremy Shapiro um, from, from Merck & Co, Alexis Sousignon from, 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 from Merck KGAA. Um, you know, and maybe one of the areas that we're seeing even more focus is the ethics question, as you mentioned, so I, I didn't forget it, which is good. Um, you know, and let's be honest, with people analytics, employee trust is, is hard to earn and easy to lose. So you, it's got to be at the forefront of, 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 you know, company strategies around people analytics. Creating trust is, is, is key to creating that sustainable success. You'll remember, Ian, because you led this piece of work that when we created the ethics charter all the way back in 2018 at, at Insight 222, you know, and, and with, 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 with the client, some of the clients at the time, that was partly catalyzed by the EU's introducing the GDPR regulations in 2018. There's a lot more regulation on the horizon. The EU is now looking at regulating the use of AI by companies, not just with customers, but within the organization. The EEOC in the US is also looking at the context of AI in the workplace and particularly around hiring algorithms. And New York has actually just introduced legislation related to the use of hiring algorithms. So this is an ongoing um, 
case of legislating. Now, that doesn't, that's not the only reason why companies should be paying attention to ethics as well. Um, you know, delivering benefits to employees through people analytics isn't just the right thing to do. It actually has a positive impact on, on business performance. You know, one of, one of the, my favorite pieces of research is, is a study Accenture did a couple of years ago. I think it might have been in, back in 2019 where they were looking at, um, you know, what is the, what's the potential value of workforce data that, that organizations already had in their system? And they found that where companies took a, a responsible approach and put trust at the forefront of people and uh, of people data, the trust dividend, as they called it, could be worth more than a 6% increase in, in future revenue growth, which you think about the amount of revenue some big organizations are making is absolutely huge. Um, and a couple of quick examples. I mean, one of the 30 case studies in, in excellence and people analytics comes from Lloyd's Banking Group and outlines how they developed an ethics charter that protects employees uh, and drives value for the company. Um, and then on the podcast, perhaps one of the, the best examples that we had on the podcast was from Jimmy Zhang, who at the time was, was leading people analytics at, at Vertex Pharmaceuticals. He says one of the first priorities of setting up people analytics was to create that ethics charter with those guiding principles that we, they were shared that with employees. And it helped drive that trust and transparency around people analytics in the company. And if you think about some of the things that Jimmy was telling us that they were doing at Vertex, you know, building their own talent marketplace, um, using sensing data to help the organization see around corners in terms of looking at what competitors are hiring. You can see by putting that ethics um, element right at the core of what they're doing was so important. So, yeah, I, I think we'll see more talk about um, ethics and trust in people analytics uh, next year. And obviously, of course, one of the reasons for that is there's more data available for organizations to analyze in people analytics. And some of that data is, is arguably more sensitive than the data we've got in our HR system. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess what we're seeing more and more as well, and we've heard this a lot in the last year on the podcast, is that link to the business becoming stronger and stronger, incorporating more than just HR data into people analytics work as well. And so do, do you see that it is the business that is driving that shift and, and a kind of demand for more information? Or do you see that it's kind of HR really trying to push that information out or a, or a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. I think if you look at the, the challenges that people analytics teams or certainly the, the more developed people analytics team are studying like hybrid work, well, hybrid working, like collaboration, like burnout, like well-being, like inclusion, you know, these are you know, you need data, you need decent data for that, and you need data that's not just HR data. You know, typical HR HR data to look at that. And particularly, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later when we we talk about listening. But you know, some of that collaboration data, you know, calendar, email, metadata, maybe data coming from Slack and and, and Teams and Zoom and all the other technologies that we're using to collaborate uh, with each other virtually. Now, everything's trackable now. Wow. You think about it, you know, if we're work, if we're all working from home. Pretty much the way we communicate with with each other now is is you know you can you can track that, and you can get some great insight from it as well. You know you can get insight that really help employees. You can you can identify burnout risk. You can identify, I know manager behaviours that actually you know the importance of managers checking in and doing one to ones with people, which you know Microsoft found is even more important in in hybrid work. You know onboarding. You know onboarding new new people. We've we've onboarded new people at Insight two two two, and we've had to do that fully remotely. It's very different from how we would have done it in the past. So, so yeah, it is, I think it's been driven by the business, but I also think that, you know, as, as people analytics teams become more sophisticated, as HR does become more digital and data driven, 
think HR professionals themselves are seeing the possibilities of some of these technologies and, and they want to use that, you know, to help the business and to help the workforce. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess one of the areas that we've really seen grow in that respect as well, particularly due to the pandemic, is this the rise of the, the talent marketplace technology. Um, we've seen learning experience platforms, LXPs, really growing in the last few years as well. And then that was kind of sped up quite a lot by the pandemic as well for some companies. And all of this starts to allow us to focus a bit more on skills, which is, again, a topic that's been talked about for, for, for a few years now, but has been quite hard to, to get a grip on. And so as we kind of move beyond the, the kind of legacy of competency frameworks and move more to understanding skills of the workforce, how do you see that playing out in, in 2022? You know, and can you give any examples you think of companies that are really doing this well and are at the forefront? Well, I know I'm preaching to the converted a little bit here, talking to you, Ian, because I know you actually started doing this at Cisco years ago, you know, you know, back in, what, 2015, 2016, you were looking at doing uh-huh. this. Um, you know, but the increasing shift to a focus on skills is, 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 you know, arguably leading to a pretty radical transformation of, of HR, um, you know, and arguably we're only at the early stage of this transformation. So, um, you know, I know from the research that you did for the Workforce Planning Playbook, which I'll probably ask you about in a minute, turn it back to you. Um, you know, 90% of companies told us they want to build skills-based workforce planning, but only a quarter were currently doing so. So that shows that there's a lot of room to, to grow there. Um, so one organization that, that, that's, that's obviously doing this well, we had Anshul Shiapuri of IBM on the podcast recently, and, you know, and he talks about skills acting as a silver thread that connects all aspects of the employee journey. And we've talked before, Ian, I think we talked on the, this episode last year about how you know, this focus on skills is breaking down some of those traditional silos uh, in HR. And, and basically what IBM had done is through um, natural language processing and machine learning, they've been able to infer the skills of all, all employees within the organization, which is, you know, over 300,000 people, um, much better than asking people for their skills. Um, and actually, apparently, you know, from what Anshu was telling us and what Diane Gerson told us last year, it's actually more accurate as well. Um, and then IBM has developed technology that provides these employees with recommendations on learning, on career paths, on mobility, mentors, you know, and it's linked all that together. So, which makes sense, doesn't it? We think we've already operated in these silos a little bit before. And it's even enabled them to shift, though, Anshul told us, from, from pay for performance to pay for skills. So that kind of gives you an indication of, of, of where this could go. You know, so that's an example of a company that's built technology focused on skills, you know, and Salesforce and, and Vertex have, have done something similar in that, that respect. And I understand Spotify have, have just announced that they've they've built their own talent marketplace as well. You know, others have chosen to partner with companies like Gloat, Degreed, Eightfold, Fuel50. There are others as well, you know, who collectively are behind what, you know, arguably is one of the hot, hottest technology innovations in recent years, the talent marketplace. Um, you know, we've had HR leaders from Schneider Electric, IQVIA, Standard Chartered, who've all implemented t- talent marketplace. But I, I think, you know, certainly from in terms of what they actually publish publicly, I think it's probably Unilever that's probably the best example here. You know, I remember the podcast discussion we had with Jeroen Wells, um, you know, back in March 2021, I think it was, where he explained that they'd used talent marketplace and use it for three years, I think, to create that, a culture of internal mobility at the company. Um, you know, one powerful example that Jeroen gave was how their talent marketplace had enabled Unilever to redeploy over 3,000 people um, from parts of the business with low demand to areas that were experiencing really high demand due to the pandemic. 
Um, and I know you're you one of his proudest moments was that it had such an impact that Unilever's CEO, uh, Alan Jobe, uh, mentioned it in one of their quarterly earnings calls. You know, so but Ian, I'd love to turn it back to you for comment because I know this is an area I, I do bow to your extra expertise than the mine on this. You know, how do you see the focus on skills playing out in 2022? And are there any other examples that you can think of that you'd like to add to them? So I'm not going to let you off the hook too much. You know, I'm going to answer this one quickly and then get back to grilling you. But uh, but no, I, we as you mentioned, we did do a big piece of research around workforce planning, and one of the the biggest kind of central themes really was this shift to a skill based workforce planning model. And I think exactly as you said, and and as we talked about last time, and we've we've heard others talking about. I think what is really fascinating about the skills conversation is that it is breaking down silos and that it is touching many different parts of HR or indeed bringing together many different parts of HR. And really, if you start to think about it through the eyes of the employee, which obviously more and more companies are doing with a more human-centered design approach, you, you realize that you know employees don't want to think about learning over here and recruitment over there. And you know Diane talked about that as well. It, it really is about understanding your job, your career, you know, where you're going to go next, you know, what you can learn. Performance management can even creep in there as well. You know, there's many different factors. And, and so I like what Angel said around skills really being the, the thread. And so something that we saw in the research was that people will come at it from many different angles. And so very few people are actually saying, oh, I'm going to tackle workforce planning and make it skill-based. Actually, the entry point in is often oh, we're going to introduce this learning system that allows us to start to build that skill taxonomy, or we're going to go with talent marketplace because we're keen on assignments or internal mobility or, you know, or, or some other focus. And, and that, it could be recruitment, for example, and that allows them to then start to build this muscle of skills. But it is a really big topic. It's a really big nut to crack. And I think what's happened over the last few years, which I think is really helping the rise is that technology has got a lot better. And so to think of that IBM example where they're inferring skills rather than asking people to fill out forms or whatever it might be, then actually, as we see machine learning becoming more capable, we see this technology advancing, it becomes something that you can start to understand more about what people are doing, the work they're doing, the skills they have without having to ask them. And I think for me, that's the bit that's gonna be really interesting is really all we're trying to do with all of this is get a better understanding of work, like what is what we need from people, whether it's a job, a task, whatever it might be. How do we understand that in its various parts? How do we define that? It's not just actually about skills. It's about knowledge. It's about experience. It's about all of these things. And we're just scratching the surface of being able to really understand them. I mean, that's why competencies and competency frameworks have been so popular, because they are kind of they try to be more than skills, but by doing that, they almost become intangible. And so as we start to double down on skills, how will we start to understand all these other aspects as well? And I think ultimately get a better understanding of the work that we need people to do and then understand what people can do and what they are doing. And that at its very simplest you know, form is, is what we're trying to do. And it's great to see that starting to play a role in workforce planning. Um, the last thing I'll say is that with all of that, what we're also seeing in the workforce planning space is a shift to be more continuous. This is less about 
an annual plan that ends up in a draw, you know, three to five year timeframes, we of course need to be looking further out. But the reality is, is that people are really focusing on the next six, 12, 18 months a lot of the time, and they really want to be able to plan for that organization. And so being able to do this on a more continuous basis ultimately requires data. And that's where all of this starts to pull together. So yeah, I'm really excited to see how this plays out. And I think it, you know, it is technology and analytics that ultimately is is going to pave the way here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing this episode next year, yeah, and I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask the question. <laughs> no chance, no chance. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. So let's shift gears uh, and allow you to keep talking. Uh, and um, I wanted to talk a little bit about employee listening and employee voice. Again, it's a topic we've we've spoken to a lot of leaders about. Um, you know, heard a lot of, of people on the podcast talking about it. This last year, in particular, you mentioned at the beginning the the shift to um, a focus more on employee well being. Obviously, the pandemic has just brought that front and center. How do you think this is going to play out? You know, if the if the pandemic starts to kind of uh, wane and we start to get back to a more normal life, then do you, do you see that companies are going to keep going with this? You know, have we really kind of made a change that's going to be here for the for the future? Um, and, and, and what else do you think people might start doing in this area? Yeah, I, I mean, I think if there is a positive consequence of the pandemic in the workplace is that leaders seem more, you know, to be genuinely interested in seeking people feedback from their employees and paying more attention to well-being so that's good do I think it will say yes because I think once the genie's out of the bottle it's going to be very hard to put it back in um, and actually there's business benefits of doing so and then there's been plenty of research Ethan Burris I think from I can't remember which university it was in it's in Texas though um, you know and he, he he did some research and showed that you know when companies let you know give that forum or that that, that forum for employees to be able to speak up you know the company benefits and pretty obvious i suppose in some respects isn't it if you've got employees on the front line working with customers and you're making it easy for them to to give feedback and make suggestions then why wouldn't that be helpful um so you you could also make a strong case that you know we are in the midst of the pandemic so you know and we'll i think we will be for the foreseeable future you know and all that focus on the great resignations that companies will step up their employee listening programs even further uh, next year um you know and as you said there's been some powerful stories throughout the last two years. You know, the examples that really resonate with me, and perhaps this gives a clue as to where employee listening and continuous listening may go, are the, those that are combining survey data from either, you know, either doing far more regular surveys, poll surveys, you know, even to the extent that some companies like Microsoft are doing it daily, you know, but combining that with some of the collaboration data that we talked about earlier to gain, gain insights around topics like well-being, collaboration, innovation, risk, burnout risk. You know, that is a great example of Uber, um, you know, where the analysis of, of, of survey responses and data from some of the collaboration tools that they use, it highlighted the pressure on focus time uh, due to remote working. 
Um, and then, you know, and that basically, you know, it was having an impact on employees, self-reported saying they didn't feel as productive, long, longer working hours, burnout risk. Um, so they, they then actually tried to address that partly through education by, 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 by actually helping employees understand the importance of focus time, but then enablement, actually creating a tool that actually rearranged people's calendars for them. Um, you know, and, and that helped, you know, the employees cope with some of the collaborative overload that they were dealing with. Um, you'll remember that we had, um, Microsoft chief people officer, Kathleen Hogan as a guest on last summer. Um, you know, and she explained how that daily pulse that I just mentioned of two and a half thousand employees, coupled with analysis analysis of that collaboration data has really helped shape Microsoft's approach to hybrid work. Um, you know, and and you know, and, and certainly, you know, you've seen we've seen lots of stuff from Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella talking about the future of work and that we won't be going back uh, to what it was prior to, prior to the pandemic, which is different from other CEOs that I could mention. Um, and then just before Christmas, um, Microsoft People Analytics leader Dawn Klinghoffer, you know, she had a really fascinating article in, in Harvard Business Review, which I really recommend anyone listening to check out. You know, during 2020, Microsoft saw a 13% fall uh, in employee satisfaction with work-life balance. Um, so the People Analytics team, you know, really dug into the some of the collaboration data, the survey data over several months. They identified there were three triggers of that. Over collaboration, so similar to Uber, so lack of focus time, similar to Uber, uh, and not taking vacation. Um, so they rolled out four strategies, but I think what's really good about these four strategies, they didn't just communicate this to employees, they actually made managers accountable for it to make sure that the, the change that they were trying to affect was systemic. So that was around managers helping their teams prioritize work, you know, and, and accepting, you know, if I'm going to do this, what do you want me to drop? Because we can't do everything. Which is quite a grown-up conversation to have in an organisation. You know, re-evaluating meetings, uh, protecting focus time, uh, and encouraging vacation. You know, and you know, and I think we can all probably think about how beneficial vacation has been, even if you're not leaving the house in the last two years. It's just getting the break from the the screen and the grind of email and and everything else. And I and I think that. That example does show, uh, provide a clue as to where employee listing could go, I think, in this year in 2022 and beyond. You know, that passive data increasingly being incorporated into continuous listing. And if it's focused on benefiting employees, as it has in the example that, that I've mentioned, it's going to be much easier to gain support from privacy, info security, works councils and employees themselves. And I think that's the challenge for, for, for people analytics teams to, to do, make sure the work is directed around there. You know, and the potential is enormous. You know, not only can it help companies maybe turn the supposed great resignation the other way around, but it can help with things like inclusion and well-being and, and collaboration. So, and frankly, as, as we said, you know, as I said at the outset, business outcomes, better customer outcomes, product development, all those sorts of things. You know, so I, I do think, as I said, that employee listening is going to be a huge focus going forward. And it's it's no coincidence that the co-creation we're doing this year with with clients of the People Analytics program is employee listening because we're getting so many questions about it and so much interest. So, um, so yeah, uh, I, again, I don't know what, you, uh, what your thoughts are around employee listening, Ian, because I know it's a topic we're all passionate about inside 222. Yeah, no, I think the fact that things are changing so much at the moment on such a you know constant basis and the need to therefore listen more to employees has, well, I think you could argue 
the need has always been there, but I think companies have recognized that need and have moved accordingly. I mean, you mentioned kind of inclusion. We've obviously seen, you know, a massive focus from, from organizations around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all of these topics really surfacing in the last year as well. How, how do you think that's evolving? You know, what do you think companies will be doing differently to, to keep tackling that? I think we, it's almost like companies are moving now beyond rhetoric to action. And I think people analytics is playing a huge role in enabling that, that, that shift, which is, you know, about time, frankly. You know, again, let me refer back to our people analytics trend research. You know, it, perhaps the, the finding that brought the warmest glow, I think, to, 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 to several of us was that when we asked those, those companies for the top three areas where people analytics is adding value, it was diversity, equity, and inclusion that emerged as the top area, you know, with 54% of companies placing it in the top three. I think it was 22% last year, if I, if I remember my numbers. So that's, that's a massive increase. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the evidence of the business value of diversity and inclusion, you know, continues to mount up. You factor in employee expectations, um, the catalyst provided by the social injustice movement in 2020, um, and the capability that people analytics provides from to help companies go from just counting numbers to understanding inclusion, doing lots of work around pay equity and belonging, then maybe it's not a surprise that there's more focus and success in this area. And it maybe brings, you know, back to the what potentially could be the broader societal benefit that people analytics and HR um, can bring. You know, so, uh, you know, you've, you know, there's a diversity equity, inclusion you know you could add a hybrid work and mental health to that are complex topics they're increasingly important to ceos um you know and chief people officers and and they require a deep understanding of the workforce and, and evidence which is why people analytics is so critical and perhaps one of the reasons why people analytics is is growing so much so so yeah i i would expect that to continue again um in 2022 yeah absolutely and and i think one thing that that we've also really seen uh, evolve this year is just the ability for people to have a voice on on those issues more on companies to be to be listening um, and I think what we're seeing as as part of that I guess is a change again in the way that people are thinking about their employees and what employees want from work and from the experience of work and if we think about that and how, HR technology is kind of playing into that. We've already talked a, a little bit about this, but you know, we've we've seen the HR technology market really, you know, increase in terms of value and, and adoption in the last few years. Now seeing quite a few unicorns, actually starting to see, not surprisingly, quite a few mergers and acquisitions happening this year as well. What's your prediction for how we'll see the HR technology market? to continue to grow and you know is it around this theme of employee experience that you know we'll we'll see driving that or do you think there's other things that that will impact that it's interesting one thing i should have said around diversity and inclusion actually related to technology and analytics is you know looking at some of the collaboration um data you can start to understand inclusion in teams um you can start to understand inclusion of, of new hires and, and, and stuff like that and i, and I think that that's an important driver, one of the drivers that's, that's certainly growing HR technology. But yeah, I mean, 2021, wow, what a phenomenal year, um, including, to, according to one report I saw, I think it was from Jason Corsella at Acadian, VC investment was set to top 15 billion, I think, 
2021, which is 300% increase apparently on the year before. So I think it's pretty safe to say there'll be more investment next year. I don't, I don't know. I think that's probably quite a safe one. Um, you know, we saw some consolidation in 2021. You know, PCOM was acquired by, by Workday, MZ and Burning Glass, two companies I know you know well, uh, merged. So I, I think we'll see more consolidation uh, in 2022. It seems like there's a lot of very successful, small to medium uh, technology companies now. They're getting a lot of traction. They got quite a lot of investment in 2021. So, you know, the, the, the big boys and big girls will be around looking to snap them up. You know, I think the areas to watch, I think anything skills related. So that external labor market data um, marketplace, the talent marketplace, um, technologies that actually help skills inference and, and maybe help companies then use that data um, and recoup some of the investment they made in some of the other technologies that they've bought over the previous years. I think employee listening, you know, I think we saw a lot last year. Obviously, I mentioned PECON, um, SAP, um, parts span out Qualtrics. Um, we've seen other movements in that area. Obviously, LinkedIn bought Glint a few years ago. These companies are being very successful. Coltramp got more um, investment. Perceptive's got more investment. Um, Adalia has, has, has emerged as a, as a technology in that space. So I think we'll see them increasingly incorporating passive data into their offering, whether that's through acquisition or whether that's through product. I guess we'll wait to see. Um, you know, and, I, and again, that, that, that organizational network analysis uh, space has threatened to take off for years. So maybe 2022 will be year that, the year that ha finally happens. But Ian, I am going to turn this one back to you because, again, you, you've studied the HR tech market for a long time. You know, certainly, you know, initially as a as a buyer, then you actually analyze the market for a while. And obviously, part of what what you're you know what you're doing at Insight Two Two, the many things you're doing at Insight Two Two is making sure you understand that market uh, well. So I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean, I obviously agree with everything you've said. I think the the only thing I would add really is I think what we've seen from the increase in different types of HR technology, particularly some of the newer point solutions that people are plugging in, is we now have even more data than we've ever had before. You know, you could argue the problem a few years back, you know, particularly when I was spending more time on this, was that we just didn't have a lot of data on people. Um, it was really, we were really just reliant on those core HR systems and they, they didn't really have much of, of any interest, you know, to, to do uh, a lot with. Now it's completely different. There's an abundance of data that we're generating all the time. All of these new tools and technologies are enabling companies to, to kind of build those data sets. I would say what is kind of next is how do we use that data, understand that data, but ultimately use that data to make people's lives better. You know, it is the kind of what's in it for me type side of things. And I think this, and what I'm not talking about is what can the people analytics team do with the data, which I know they're starting to, to you know, spend more time on. It's really how do these tools start to build actual uh, usability and, and functionality into their platforms that mean that you're not looking at reports about how many meetings you're in, but actually there's something happening as a result, you know, more on the recommendation side. And, you know, we, we hear people all the time say, oh, should be like Netflix, should be like Spotify. And, and I think it has become a bit of a, you know, a trite statement, I guess. But the reality is when you think about a lot of the technologies you do use, 
the the amount of data that that they are looking at and then using that behind the scenes to then do something and we could argue sometimes they even get it wrong is quite phenomenal and i just don't think we're at that stage at at work yet you know really it is still very rudimentary in terms of the the types of analysis and insights that we're getting back as users of these technologies and so for me i think that's the area that i'm kind of most excited about now um and and how that's going to play out yeah i i think you're right and you know, and, and actually, how better to you know benefiting the people who actually provide the data, you know, employees, you know, yeah, and, and making absolutely. it use making it usable for them to actually do something about it, and and make it better for their experience at work, to find a job, to find training, to do whatever, right, um, manage their careers, and and just ultimately have a better experience at work. Yeah. Okay, so you always give me a bit of a hard time on the podcast, David, about how I'm going to cut you off and we're not keeping the, whether you're keeping the episode to time or not. So I'm going to play that role now, uh, particularly as I'm actually getting to interview and say that we're, uh, we're nearing the end of time. And so we've just got a couple more questions to, to get into today. Um, one is really around the need for HR to, to upskill, um, be more data driven, be more digital. Obviously, this is something we've talked about a lot. Uh, you know that I spend a lot of time doing this, working on this for, for Insight 222. But, but I think we are seeing a shift here. You know, you've cited some of the, the information from the survey around actually the appetite now for CHROs, for HR to change. And we, we are seeing more of a push coming from a lot of different organizations. What are you seeing from your conversations with HR leaders around this? And, and, and what's your prediction for how it might evolve? Yeah, I think for all the reasons that we've talked about, you know, the, the increased uh, uh, from the C-suite during the pandemic for people, data and insights, you know, more focus on inclusion and, and well-being, you know, understanding what hybrid work's going to be, you know, in each each company, you know, the the, the desire to for HR to be data driven now is 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 high. You know, and there is that delta between what the CHRO is mandating versus the reality at the moment. And I suppose the, the prediction is that, you know, we'll start to close that gap hopefully quite significantly in 2022. Um, you know, from this research and conversations we have with with leaders on the podcast and, and actually the research, we, we, we identified three interlocking elements that, that kind of all need to be managed together to drive that data-driven culture. You know, number one, you need to invest in your people analytics function. You know, that's, that's people, that's skills, that's technology. But it's also the productization we talked about earlier to, to, to scale and, and put stuff in the hands of managers and employees, as, as, as you just said. You know, to embed data decision making across managers, HR and managers. Well, how do you do that? You know, yes, we can support, we can upskill HR professionals. That's an important part of it. But you can't do that on its own. Um, and yes, that, that's not training people to be analysts necessary. That's helping them be more data literate, improve their consulting and influencing and storytelling skills. But it's also by democratizing data across the company. You know, but you're investing in technologies that are accessible, easy to use, user friendly, uh, as we've talked about. Um, you know, and support it's a change. You know, so we've got to invest in supporting that change management process in HR, clear communications from the CHRO, you know, it's 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 in celebrating success. I mean, again, referring because maybe it was one of the more recent episodes, Anshul Shiapuri at IBM saying, you know. Celebrate HR professionals that embody a data-driven culture, you know, at meetings that the CHRO is, is hosting or at all hands, you know, show the way that it's incentivizing that career journey for, for HR professionals, that this is something that's going to help them 
not just in their careers, but in their day-to-day work as well. So I think that that's really important. And then if we can start to be better at demonstrating the, the business value. So that was the third thing we found, you know, calculating the ROI, you know, from a people analytics perspective, that I guess means working with finance at the outset of a piece of work, agreeing how you're going to measure value, you know, really interacting with the stakeholders in the business, not just stakeholders in HR, you know, and doing it together with HR business partners um, and then communicating the value of, of, of data-driven HR across the company. So Microsoft have a hashtag, data-driven, hashtag data-driven HR, which they do to communicate any story about people analytics. That's, that's really nice and simple. Um, we've had others on the, on, the sh- on the show. You know, again, I, I go back to um, Alexis Susinon uh, at Merck really talking about how they do that. You know, they, they set the expectation they provide the tools, they develop communities of practice um, and recognize it's a journey. You know, it's not something you can just give someone a training course and a week later they're a data-driven HR professional. But it's not just data, is it? I mean, that, that's the thing. No, no, it's 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 not. And, and I think that point you just made there around, you know, yes, training is going to play a role here. There is a lot of capability building that needs to happen, new skills. Um, and and data is one that is is pretty new for for HR. You know, not many people got into HR because they like dealing with data, right? And and so to your point, that it's not going to happen overnight. You know, this is a multi-year journey for HR. Uh, but I think there's a lot of other areas, you know, to to throw into that mix. You know, understanding the impact of digital. You know, really getting into that employee experience piece is really still so new. And, uh, you know, taking a more user-centric design approach to, to everything that we do in HR. And then I think it is the communication of all of this back to the business as well. You've talked a little bit about it, but, you know, the stakeholder management, really understanding the business and uh, really being able to tell a story about what's going on and, and make sure that that drives action ultimately that adds value to the business. And, and so I think those are some of the areas that we're seeing all kind of come together. I'm sure more are going to get added over time of course as well and and the fact that hr is now focusing a bit more on itself i think is is great as well um and not just focusing on the skills of the organization but i do think it's a multi-year journey it's a big shift for the function and uh, we're only just getting started but it does feel like the appetite is now uh, really bubbling up and people are seeing more of a need for it which i think is 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 great um, okay, so last question to, to kind of bring us home uh, on this. Uh, when you posted your predictions out uh, on LinkedIn, uh, we've seen, a, as I said, a, a massive number of comments and discussion going on, which is always great to see. But you actually invited others to to add their own predictions, uh, of which you've seen many too. When you kind of looked through all of that and, and with everything else that, that we've been discussing today, you know, is there anything else you'd like to to kind of add around what you're going to see evolve as for the role of, of HR in organizations in the future and, and particularly highlight any of the things that the community have added as well? Yeah, the first thing to say is a huge thank you to everyone that's taken the time to, to contribute a suggestion. There are numerous on there. I never would have thought there would be as, as many as they have. And, you know, and some of the most of the ideas are actually really, really good as well. And actually, frankly, much better than my prediction. So it's going to be quite hard to choose the two um, that, that, that I add to the list. So uh, which makes me think maybe I should crowdsource everything next year. Um, I think what what they do and I think what we've talked about as well is, it you know, HR has been on a long journey from a 
function that was focused on compliance, process, standardization, and intuition to one that's now, or certainly going to be in, in, in some cases, but is already in others, focused instead on skills, products, personalization, and data. That's, the, as you said, that is a, that's not a, you know, this week we're a compliance-based function, next week we're a product-based function. That is a long journey. Um, now, I think that's accelerated since the start of the pandemic. Um, you know, it's the pandemic has elevated that the role of the HR function. And we can see that from all the work that we do. We can see that from a lot of suggestions and comments on the, on the article. Um, you know, particularly where those functions are well-led, they're, they're already data-driven, they've got, you know, good people analytics teams, they invest in those people analytics teams, they're focused on creating personalised experience. You know, and they're focused as well, actually, on on having an impact on business outcomes. You know, which I think is maybe the big leap that, that HR generally still has to make. Um, you know, and that it actually extends to probably broader societal areas that we talked about, like inclusion, but also climate and sustainability. So that was one of the. That's certainly a suggestion that few have made. HR's got a real big role to play here, not just to help the organisation achieve its goals but actually to, to make sure the organization is listening to employees who increasingly are quite, you know, they're quite active uh, uh, about this and they, they want to work for companies that are actually good for the climate and, and actually care about it. Um, and actually that kind of leads to a um, couple of suggestions I, I, I've pulled out. And these are the ones that I can remember off the top of my head. So again, Diane Gerson, former IBM uh, Chief Human Resources Officer. So her suggestion was related to that. You know, will HR, how will HR cope with this, this increased employee activism? You know, particularly in the US where this, is, you know, where this is happening, where maybe they don't have those works councils and, 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 and the employee representative groups in place. So do you, you know, she highlighted this as a challenge for HR. And I think, I think it is, but it's one that HR should embrace because it could almost be, help be the collective voice of the employee then on, the, on these topics. And then... Um, our friend Dave Orich, I have to mention Dave because he's been on the, the podcast, I think, more times than any guest, actually. Um, he suggested that, you know, the HR shift needs to shift from an to an increased focus on outcomes rather than activities. I think a lot of what we've talked about over the last sort of 50 minutes or so in does actually play to that. Um, but I think there's still um, quite a long way to go. Um, and, you know, and actually it's what's quite interesting um, the, uh, I don't know if you if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, which is quite well respected, um, you know, in the in in business. Last year, for the first time, they 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 came that employees are now the most important stakeholder to a business's success. More important than customers, more important than shareholders. And I think it's not hard to see that this creates a hugely in, 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 a huge opportunity for HR, and maybe also shows why HR is arguably the most exciting place to work in business at the moment. So, you know, I'm confident HR can rise to the uh, rise to these increased expectations. It, it will take time. Um, and there's some great examples out there. Uh, and hopefully we highlight some of them on the podcast every week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what a great place to, to finish, David. I, I agree. I think uh, a very exciting future ahead uh, for HR. And hopefully we'll we'll see a lot of your predictions play out in, in 2022. So that just leaving me to say Happy New Year. Uh, it's been a delight uh, putting you in the on the spot today. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the year ahead. And thanks for going easy on me. Ian. And um, just to anyone listening, we'll put links to some of the research. So um, if people want to delve into that themselves, they can. Happy New Year to all the listeners as well. And Happy New Year to you, Ian. All right. Thanks, David.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to produce the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week when we'll be kicking off Series 19, where I'll be joined by Timon Dion, an expert in the business impact of human behaviour and lecturer at Utrecht University. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.